0: Hi, my name is Nick Thompson and I run holisticvet.co.uk. We're based near Bath in England. I'm Dr. Brendan Clark, I'm based at Towerwood Vets in West Yorkshire.
1: And my name's Dr. Conor Brady, the non vet of the gang from dogsburst.ie. And together we are. You oh, pet medics.
0: <laughs> Hello, everybody. It's good evening, all. Actually, it's not actually the evening, is it? Because we're pre recording How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> now we're pretending. <laughs> I close my blind
1: to block out the absolute belting sunshine Absolutely. that's outside. Excellent. Okay, Sorry.
0: so we're doing Q&A today, guys. Uh, Brendan is not with us because I think he's on holiday. He's got something important on. It has to be important if he's going to miss an RPM. He's he's really diligent, isn't he? Bren is really, really he's diligent. Before. You and I yeah. have taken holidays left, right and centre. He is. He's so always on it. It's kind of nice. There's a just yeah. little balance. Yeah. Bren's always
1: on. His his messages come in about maybe half one in the morning and it's like, oh, Bren, what are you doing? He's up there working away, putting you to shame. Yeah. And then he might send you a message at half six in the morning. So uh that can't be healthy long term. But yeah, he's a, he also he does all the technical stuff as well, but we have DJ Nick on the decks tonight. Yes. So I have absolutely no worries. Well, that
0: things are go not, you know, that's the that's the bottom line. Um this is good. We've got uh we've got QA and uh we've got a lot lots of uh, questions from Patreon supporters. Thank you, Patreon supporters. But um yeah. let me uh shall I uh grab the first question? Go first. Okay, I'm gonna I'm just gonna read this out. This is from a wonderful supporter, Patreon supporter, called Michelle Charden. Chaden, I think. T J A D E N and she is in Woodstock. that? Woodstock, just outside Chicago. Chicago. Love you. Yep. Yeah. And um she's 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 a, she's a massive supporter of us and, and and I think she's gonna be really happy that we're doing a question here. So Michelle, this is all for you. I'm going to uh, uh, read this out now. It's a great question. I am fortunate to have two great raw food companies near me where I can source organic pastured beef, pork, turkey, lamb, goat, duck, rabbit, chicken, raw goat milk, and pastured duck eggs. Lucky, lucky, Michelle. Mm. My issue is finding a good source of omega-3s inside the uh, – no, after the inside scoop, which was is Rodney Habib's weekly – thing which you've been on uh, there, Connor. Yeah. Uh, with Connor and Mark Saint-Ange, Ooh, we've got all the names today, yeah. Mark saint discussing all the pitfalls with fish oils. I decided to feed fish instead of oil as I preferred whole foods to supplements when possible. That's an interesting point. I live in an yeah. area where it's hard to find fresh fish. Yeah, that's because you're about a thousand miles from any coast. Um, if my Geography serves me correctly. Um, I live in an area, of, and uh, I live in an area where it's fine, hard to find fresh fish. Plus, it's expensive. Brackets. I'm feeding fourteen dogs. Fourteen dogs. Wowzers. Wow. Close bracket. I've been rotating canned mackerel and sardines and freeze dried salmon. I have two questions. Number one, I make fish chowder with uh, fish eggs, and raw goat's milk, brackets, Delicious. Yeah, and a small amount of veg, and feed it as the main meal twice a week in my rotation. Considering I feed pastured meat and eggs, which should have some omega-3, there's another really interesting point, Is, a main point. isn't it nice? Is fish twice a week enough, or should they get some daily? is fish twice a week enough or should they get some daily? That's another interesting point. And the second question is, does fried, does freeze-dried fish contain enough omega-3 or is some lost in the freeze-drying process? So I think there's about five or six really interesting there points there. Great question. And um, I'm just about to run out of battery. <laughs> So no, no. you you start there, and I'm just going to start get my, talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to run around for a second.
1: I'll, I'll talk about the the main bit that leapt off the page there for me was first of all, Michelle is a very clued in raw feeder and uh, feeding a phenomenal diet. I mean, outdoor reared beef, pork hard to find, turkey very hard to find and very expensive. Lamb, beef and lamb is a, is a dime a dozen here in Ireland and the UK, but outdoor reared stuff in, in in the US is much harder to find you're jacking your prices up the point is if, if these are outdoor reared and the most of them are beef always is lamb always is goat uh, um, and she's saying organic and pasture reared so you're hoping they're not kfo kind of uh, fed grain so here's the thing if you're feeding outdoor meats there is almost certainly enough omega 3 in that diet for an average dog in my opinion i would say for the average dog um, I think there's a there's a big kind of focus on on fish oil because it's fabulous, and a lot of westerners are deficient in it. Okay, so when you look at the the bloody Mediterraneans with their great diet, you're looking at people that get lots of omega three in their diet. Fabulous omega three, great quality omega six, and uh, so you know really good quality uh, virgin olive oil and lots of omega three. We don't get enough omega three. So if you were to take a thousand Itali- uh, Italians, say and a thousand Irish people the fish oil tablet would be far more effective in the Irish people. If you wanted to prove that your fish oil supplement was good for arthritis, you wouldn't use Mediterranean's in your study. You would use, you know, uh, Londoners or Dubliners. So that's that's a study of deficiency. And so omega-3, you don't want to be deficient in it because you'll you'll get inflamed. And you want to have your omega-3 and 6 ratio per uh, good. So lots of 3, not too much 6. And if you're a plant eater, a good bit of plants, you can have slightly more 6 in your diet. Omega-6, that's plant oils. It's okay, but for a carnivore, a meat eater, they really want to have lots of omega-3, and that comes from animal fat. And it's not just fish oil, it's not just fish fat. It is outdoor-reared beef, goat, lamb, full of omega-3, more than enough than your dog would need. Now, if he's very sick and he's got a skin condition and he's inflamed, and you might go, okay, a little bit of omega-3 here and there. Jack it up if he's got arthritis because he's inflamed, whatever. But for the average dog, I personally wouldn't be. With a diet that started that email, I would say, oh, that's fabulous. I couldn't see that being deficient in anything. Uh, and it's such good quality omega-3 in those fats because it comes lumpy meat with fat and untouched by a factory, you know, frozen, perfectly great fat that your dog will be full of. I don't think you need to focus too much on jacking up omega-3 after that. You could actually have a counter effect where you give too much. It's not You're not trying to fight inflammation all the time, if that's what you're thinking about omega-3. Because if your dog is healthy, inflammation is trying to help you. It's not something to be repressed all the time. So I'm not sure if that dog needs more omega 3 A little bit of fish here and there would be about as great an addition. But that's
0: only starting with the first couple of sentences. Nick, what are your thoughts? My thoughts is that wolves and dingo-type dogs and canids have been wandering around in the Chicago area for millions and millions of years. That is to say, they are thousands of kilometers from the sea, which is the main yeah. source of omega-3. Where did those guys historically get omega-3 from? Because we, we know for humans and, and, and canids that omega-3 is massively important to balance pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory effects. So it stands to reason, therefore, that they must have been getting omega-3s either from the... The rivers, yeah, salmon, you know, I don't know whether they, you get salmon all the way inland in, in, in Chicago. But, yeah, they may have been eating uh, fish sources of some sort or another. But I would I would wager that they would be eating beef or equivalents, you know, aurochs or, you know, these kind of things, or pork or wild boar or turkey. Turkey is, they're pretty ancient turkeys, aren't they? They've been strutting around in the I States, am? I is think, for a very long time. Lambs and goats and what have you, they would be going around. And uh, ducks, for sure. Rabbits, for sure. Chickens, probably. Goat milk, yeah. So if, you, if you take down a, 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 a pregnant or a recently um, a, a, a nanny, that's the word I was yeah. looking for, a nanny goat, then you would dive into that mammary tissue and you would be eating some degree of goat's milk. And duck eggs, yeah, those canids are going to be getting into eggs because eggs, if they're laid on the ground especially, that's just a free lunch, and that's that they would be going mm. into that. And QED, therefore, they must have got everything they needed. And what, what Michelle is doing or her suppliers are doing, they are emulating that because they are offering Michelle and all the other very sensible... um very sensible um people around there my my uh, thingies are just talking to me <laughs> so forgive me so okay. um, yeah that's why I was, yeah um so yeah so therefore i would think she is probably feeding enough just with that because of the pasture yeah the, the pasture feds yeah meat is high you know is, is is much higher than kfo meat kfo is is confined animal feed operation i.e you put cattle into prison camp and you feed them high carb uh, grains so that they Grain, grow quickly omega six. and loads of omega-6 yeah. in those meats yeah so it may not be that the omega-3 is particularly high but the omega-6 is definitely much lower plus KFOS are disastrous when it comes to welfare so She's supporting a really fantastic thing. And her, the, the benefit to her and her dogs is that there's plenty of omega-3 going in there, but it doesn't have to battle against stacks of omega-6. Yeah, so exactly. whatever is there is probably enough. Because a ratio, you know, a ratio can be up here, a ratio can be down there. It's just a balance of those two things. So I think this that's yep. interesting concepts coming yep. through there. So. She mentioned that um mm. that you were popping out a few uh,
1: sardines and tins of sardines mm. and that uh, inside scoop the guy that you mentioned there um Mark his name was St. Dong uh, he's like the like an expert of fish oil yeah. I mean, my God the guy was incredibly clued in yeah uh but I was doing a cost benefit analysis of the different fish oils and you know what you're paying per gram of EPA DHA EPA DHA are the omega threes you really want and to cut a long story short we've done a fish oil a few talks before. Tins of sardines have lots of omega three in them, even though they've been cooked at one hundred and twenty one degrees for half an hour. All tin food, uh, it, the omega three lasts. It's quite uh, once it's contained in that in the juices. So you do get omega three from that, and it's not completely alien, weird looking, nasty fats. It's, it's it's pretty good, and it comes with protein and, and nice, you know. So that's a cost effective way of putting in omega three. But as she was alluding to, the supplement industry has a major major problems. So the fifty percent of them are at their point of expiry when you buy them. And then as soon as you crack that top, it gets to oxidizing. And once it goes over that edge, it takes more from your body than it gives you. And 10% of them are dangerous. And it's like, wow. So you can imagine where the pet supplement industry is, or or if manufacturers, no offense to manufacturers, they buy their fish oil in in a five liter plastic drum and it's sitting on a shelf and they pour a plug in every time they do make food. That's not fish oil you want to be using. So she's right to think what's the best way to do it. And the freeze dried bit came up with the bottom leak. So how do you feel about freeze dried uh, fish? It, that's it. a uh, Pretty good quality stuff, I
0: imagine. I mean, no. yeah, I've had a look at this one. I've got a I've actually got a paper. Let me just grab it. Here we go. So, this is a paper from uh, I think it's from New Zealand, it's 2003. It's called Fatty Acid and Sterol, Comp- Sterol Composition of Frozen and Freeze Dried New Zealand Green Lip Mussels. From three sites in New Zealand and they start the abstract by talking about freezing is known to maintain the, uh, the fatty acid uh, composition okay that's where they're starting and so what they wanted to do was to compare freeze drying with freezing yeah you take a, oh, a cool. known preser- preservation method and you compare it with a fairly new preservation method and their conclusion uh, is 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 interesting. And so this is the second one was the freeze-drying thing. This is the second comparative study investigating the lipid fatty acid and sterile composition of the New Zealand green lip mussel with added interest in the effect of freeze drying on the lipid content of the muscle. This study showed that there was no major significant differences in lipid sterile and fatty acid composition between freeze-dry and the frozen samples ah. of green lip mussel. So absolutely great so therefore yeah. the very short answer is freeze-drying maintains most things and i was I was speaking to um a guy who makes freeze-dried he's it's a new company called k-o-k-o-k-a-c-a-y-a i think if you come across them anyway they're making no. they're making freeze-dried food and he was saying that freeze-drying not only maintains most nutrients i.e Pretty much all nutrients. It kills the bugs because they hate the process of freezing. Will maintain the bugs, but then they dehydrate. Bugs don't like that, and then they uh, uh, the the the, the uh, there's another process in there which they really hate, and then that's it. So so yeah. these freeze dried foods are sterile now. Is sterile? Is sterile food what you want? That's another question. However, freeze dried food is generally very safe if bacteria are a concern to you. So it's just that freeze dried thing came to my mind.
1: Yeah, listen, they yeah they, they feed the armies. They, that's the, what they feed. Uh, any country with a standing army has massive freeze drying potential. So you know, yeah. Britain, France, US, China. Yeah, they they have huge freeze drying capabilities. And so that's where all the freeze-dried foods are made because these guys have spare capacity. So it, it's unbelievable. It's the stuff they send up the mirror Space Station, although fresh food is uh, the number one request up there. So um, it's it's wonderful and it preserves everything. And those foods are picked at the right time. Uh-huh. They're not sitting on a shelf and transported here and there. They're picked and they're deep frozen and then they're ready to go. And then they're, then, then they're freeze-dried, sometimes freeze-dried on the spot. Berries are freeze-dried on those farms pretty much. I mean, they're transported mm-hmm. and frozen. Mm-hmm. So you don't have this two, three weeks before you pick them up where they have to be preserved in ethylene gas and your grapes that never go off and that kind of stuff. So there's a big problem with what we consider fresh produce. Uh, So freezing and freeze drying is wonderful. It's quite pricey because the process is expensive. I do hear that the freeze dryers, in order to kill the bacteria, have to use a heat kill step. And they don't call it a cooking step because they don't want to market their food. They want to market it as raw. So, you know, particularly over in America, they use the word raw on all the kibbles. It's like raw coated. And it's like, what? You know, raw kibble in a bag. And it's just, how is it raw? So they use the word quite flippantly. But um, I think the freeze dries do, you have to get it over 70 degrees for a time to kill Salmonella, you call it 72 degrees. It has to be there for a little bit to kill Salmonella, you Okay. That's not a hot temperature. That's not something to worry about. So I wonder, is that the step they do before they freeze dry it? And if it was, if that's not the end of the world that you're talking about. You know, wonderful, wonderful quality food, and we're, we're, it's the difference between hair and fur. These are brilliant mm, foods, and mm, if you put mm. in the odd real ingredient in there, a perfect and we're, we're putting too much energy, thinking too too stressful about. It. That's wonderful food. It just when you rehydrate it, it does look a bit like vomit. It's very hard oh, yeah. to keep the consistency of yeah, the yeah. of the bits and pieces. But sure, the dog doesn't care. He doesn't care at yeah, all. Yeah, it, it uh, tends to, to be really, really tasty.
0: Really tasty stuff, doesn't it?
1: Ah, oh, like it is. It's bad. Look, it's it's as good as it can be. It's as fresh as it can be once it's rehydrated.
0: Yeah, because all the flavor. Yeah, yeah the flavor. You know, it's yeah. so, so, you know it, so essentially, it's you know, it's like having berries straight off the off the tree, or it's yeah, it, it's meat. You know, fresh, 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 fresh meat. Yeah. So a lot, a yeah. lot of really, really good stuff going in there. They use That's freeze drying. Yeah. Freeze drying to preserve enzymes as well. So yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you want to keep an enzyme for twenty years, you freeze dry it at I don't know minus sixty or something like that. So that's how they do it. And um, wow, so cool. this is really very very interesting. You were saying it's seventy yeah. degrees for how long? Do you know?
1: It depends on the substrate that's going through. The um. problem is lumps of meat; the core has to get to seventy degrees, so that increases the time a lot. But mince gets there very quickly as long as the mince is flat. But they can't have the mints completely flat in the ovens because mm. it costs money. So they put the at maybe a, an inch thick. So it becomes a way up of how long do you want the mints in there? Mm. How, uh, what temperature do you use? Quicker temperatures means shorter drying times, which saves you a lot of money when you're producing tonnage. So now you're like, OK, well, instead of 70, I'll just push it up to 8. And that way I'll get the stuff done in 12 hours instead of 8. These are the tiny little changes that go on in the background. Mm. Nobody knows mm. All you have to do is write in your paperwork. It was 70 degrees. Did anybody check? No, there's nobody checking. All they check is, show us your microbiology. Wow. So nobody checks the process. And so, and so it sounds a little bit untrusting of me, but it's the problem we don't have regulators going in there checking these things. And um, the closest we have really is is raw safe. And, and ideas like that where random audits, where people can just walk into your premises going, hey, guys, I'm here to inspect your freezers. And it's like, oh, God. Show us your import documents or these ingredients. Show us your processes. Show us the temperatures of your ovens. Checking those things is another level of, like, nobody does that in the food chain. That's why we have these issues that we have with ultra-processed food. And, you know. um, can I ask you a question here, Nick? This is from Liz H, another follower. That took us, <sighs> we spent a good lot of time <sighs> on that one because that was a really well-structured question. There was a lot to it. We did cover a lot of ground, um,
0: though. We did yes, cover a lot of ground. Oh, no, so, yeah, it uh, wasn't yeah, just, yeah. so it was those five questions like, in yeah. one
1: just to justify. It like, was, yeah. To Honestly, them. I would never doubt us. I would never doubt us, Thompson. Um, here we go. Here is one for a vet. My hypothyroidism dog hmm. has had two general anesthetics this year already. And each time he has had really itchy skin afterwards. What's going on there? And it takes a while to get back to normal with the help of skinny's capsules. No, we don't know what. I don't know. I've, I've got, got some. have no clue what that Yeah. Oh, good. Why does this happen to him? Why is the dog getting inflamed after his anaesthetic, Nicholas? you keep talking. I think I will. I was just waiting to see if you're going to come back in seconds or minutes. But while Nick is uh, looking for stuff there, I will just, from what I understand of hypothyroidism, I always remember hypo is low. Hyper is high. So a hyperactive child. But a hypo-responsive child, that's far more worrying. Okay, so... Hypo is low. So when you hear of hypothyroidism, you know it's low thyroid. So it's an underactive thyroid. And that issue is far more common in dogs. Uh, hyperthyroidism does exist, uh, often a little tumour or something on the on the thyroid. Uh, and it, it, it results in these issues, but that's more common in cats. So hypothyroidism is more common in dogs, which I'd like to know why. Uh, and, uh, but I'm not um, familiar with any of this inflammation business after the GA which is um, news to me. So what's going on?
0: Okay. So hyper, as you say, uh, it's, it's cats, you know, and we're talking 10,000 to one, go hyper when left to their own devices. If you feed them loads of thyroid tissue, the, the, even dogs will go hyper. But generally speaking, cats go hyper, dogs go hypo, low. Humans can go hyper or hypo. Why that is, I do not know. However, the person to read on hypothyroidism, low thyroid in, in, in dogs is Jean Dodds, J E A N D O D D S. So um, she's written the book, Canine Thyroid Epidemic, just there. And so that is the book to read. Whether she talks, actually, I don't think she talks about cats and why the difference, it's some strange metabolic issue i don't know why and that irritates me but it's interesting humans go either high or low anyway so uh hypothyroidism is a lot more common in dogs than we were led to believe gene dogs has has told us that 40 percent of aggressive dogs in the united states are hypothyroid because at their college yeah at their college you're taught that hypothyroid dogs are fat lazy and chili. And and that is only a subset of all the hypothyroid that you will see. You can see hyper dogs, you can see skinny dogs, you can see dogs that are just completely normal, but they keep on getting skin infections. You can see dogs who've got uh, persistent liver problems. You can see uh, even uh, gut problems, uh, inflammatory gut problems can be linked to Hypothyroidism because your, your thyroid. I always think it's a bit like a thermostat. You know, the thermostat in your house, it's only a tiny little thing, but if you just tweak it slightly, your entire house, every room in the house changes temperature. And that's exactly how the thyroid works. And therefore, every cell in the body, as well as having an insulin receptor, every cell in the body, they have a thyroid hormone. Receptor as well, so it means small or persistent changes in thyroid or insulin can have profound effect on the whole body, which I think is is, right. is amazing. Which is why yeah. insulin is such a such a uh, a big issue. Book to read on insulin is by Benjamin bickman B I K M A N N, I think double N, and it's called Why We Get Sick. Wonderful book, and uh, I was talking to people about this. Uh, a, a, a lady came up to me over the weekend at edition dog and she was saying, oh, my daughter gets a lot of acne. Could this be to do with uh, 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 diet? And I said, yes, absolutely. If you've got persistent high levels of, of, of glucose, meaning high levels of insulin, that can be associated. The other one is, is uh, Dr. David. Wheat belly, Lustig. wheat belly. He talks about acne, and there is there is a a, a a direct link between sugar, insulin, and acne. Interesting. Very interesting. Also,
1: Lustig, Lustig on YouTube. If you look at Professor Lustig on YouTube mm. and type in the skinny on obesity. Uh, and he gives a four-part video series on how insulin works with diagrams, mm. which is very handy to look at. Yeah. So it tells you exactly when you take insulin, when you inject it, this is what it does. It takes the sugar and it pumps it into the fat store. That's, that's its job. And so he's got this wonderful way of explaining it because the guy is all over it. He was the guy that discovered the leptin issue uh, the switching on and off of hunger with fat. Yeah. But um, uh, so anyway, okay, Nick, so we've got hypothypes. Can I just talk, comment on one thing? Mm. When people eat thyroid and uh, they worry about it, spiking kind of causing hyperthyroidism just a note on that mm. there is one example of that happening in dogs where uh, some ne'er-do-well took beef thyroid which is quite large because she's a big thing you know and they take this beef thyroid and they dried it out and sold it as pet treats and they put it in canned food and it resulted in a lot of dogs getting terribly ill very quickly instantly you know the body you're taking the hormone that was in that thyroid So it's thyroxine, and then if you eat that, you've suddenly got a huge spike of thyroxine, and boom, you're you're causing this hyperthyroidism. So people panic about eating thyroid. But I would say your dog is a whole prey eater. He eats tiny amounts of thyroid quite regularly. It's not a big deal to him. It's actually quite normal. Probably extremely beneficial if you think about it. All those organs and bits and pieces are. It's just that he's not supposed to be at a cow's thyroid for, for dinner. That's not normal food for him. We're talking about a whole mouse, a whole bird, a whole frog. So um, that, I just wanted to put that bit in in case people are freaked out about eating thyroid. They're often worried chicken necks and duck necks make up a considerable part of the chicken and duck food your dogs are eating, Believe me, Necks are the cheapest bit of meat off the bird with a bit of bone in it. But the thyroid isn't on that neck that we've ever seen because the thyroid in the bird is down, actually down. It's in a funnier, different place because they're flying animals. It's down in the cavity, so it doesn't come off with the neck. And so you don't often see it attached. So not to panic with that one. It's a big myth that's out there.
0: Sorry Nick back to your thyroidism and the GA. No, uh, absolutely great. Um so so uh what was going to say? Oh, yes, there was a uh, there was an incidence of dogs getting hyperthyroidism in I think Poland or or from from uh, I think Polish imports. Yeah, no offense to our Polish uh, family. But mm-hmm. When you see hypothyroid hyperthyroidism in dogs, it's almost always dietary. Okay, so oh, so if you see if you if you see it, it's usually that. And you, I have seen it in the UK as well, and um, you know, and these are even in very reputable manufacturers who do religiously remove thyroid tissue. So you've got to ask the question: Where is that that thyroid tissue coming from? Yeah. Um, so it's a question. So if you if if your vet turns around to you and says you've got like hyper thyroidism in your dog, then you need to think about well that, the food, food. The food. Which is all the more yeah. reason treats. to feed variety. Okay. That's,
1: yeah. that's dried treats, I think dried treats are dangerous because treats want the cheapest meat possible. Mm. Once it's dried out, you've no idea mm. what it is. So beef is beef. Mm. They don't have to tell you what organ it is, they don't have to tell you what part of the beef it is. So that's a concern, perhaps, more so than the the complete raw made in the UK, but who knows? Yeah, who knows? Yeah. I would be instantly sampling my G- If my dog has hyperthyroidism, great tip, Nick. I'd be keeping that treat and getting it analysed.
0: Send it to the vet and say, Tell me how much thyroxine is in this product. Awesome. That's a good um, thought. Really good thought. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> to the question, this is quite nice. Isn't yeah. Actually, talking yeah, around easy, easy. A, a, a subject mm. is very, it, 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 it's, it's more interesting than going, Yeah. yeah. Uh it's this, this and this. Yeah. Next yes question, no. I think. Okay, so the, 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 the
1: itches inflammation skin. after the G A. In inflammation after the the dog yeah. got two G A uh general anesthetics yeah. and, and she's itchy after it.
0: So what's going on there? Okay, what, it's impossible to say for sure, but what goes through my mind is that when you have a general anesthetic G A, you are pumped with toxins, yeah, you know? just as you know, alcohol will make you fall over or go to sleep. These, they they use propofol. they use um, isoflurane, these things, isoflurane is a fluorine gas, okay? It's toxic, but you use it so carefully and at such low levels that you have this very essential anesthetic and your, your, your consciousness is, is reduced um, so that you can do surgery which is you know one of the mo- most amazing parts of medicine you know because otherwise you've got to mm. hack legs off which is what they used to do in the old days without any aesthetic and um, so it's a wonderful thing however easy it, it's a toxin whichever way you look at it and so my thinking is that either the dog has a degree of Sensitivity to something in those anaesthetics, yeah. Propofol, for example, is they used to call it magic milk. It's it's a it's a white milky solution, and as well as the propofol, it will have agents and carriers in it, okay, or whatever regime they use. Drugs rarely come on their own. They usually have excipients, which is a posh way of saying other stuff in the liquid, other stuff in the tablet, and okay. you may not be sensitive to the the, 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 the uh, protagonist the star of the show you may be allergic to the walk-on part who came in uh, as, as part of yeah. that that medication so that would be number one bit of a bit of reaction bit of sensitivity to that thing the other thing that I think is is, is worth thinking about is maybe there was some kind of disruption of the biome yeah the toxin goes in the, 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 the bugs are not happy or maybe if the dog, I'm just thinking out loud here. Maybe if the dog was in for a day or two, then they would have that's been what one. they would have been feeding it. God knows what they're going to feed it. Usually they're feeding you know hills or raw Cannon or something like Tills. this. And if that's unfamiliar to the dog, then uh, that might be it. What they do really commonly there's a there's a uh, hills do a thing called AD, which is kind of for uh, post surgical recovery okay now what actually dogs need is just great food Yeah, go home have some great raw food and off you go but they it was, you know it's, it's an opportunity for them within the market it's like here's some pate that you can give to, to your dog and they will you know just get them going on the other side i think you were mentioning uh, scrambled egg earlier i think scrambled eggs is just gonna jeez. say chicken it. ah, porridge yeah 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 and a bit of porridge yeah. and a bit of butter right. and off you go Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I'll give you the recipe later. Yeah. Uh yeah. Okay. So there you go. That's my thought. And uh the skinny's yeah. capsules, they're really, really great. They're really useful. I use them a lot. I import them from the States. Uh in the States, you can get a hold of them from allergicpet.com. And it is not a panacea. It's not, you've got an itchy dog, here's some herbs. Dog stops itching. life Forever. However, it is one of the tools that we use when we are presented with itchy dogs and i would say in about 40 percent of cases it's a very useful tool so in the yeah, states you can get hold of it we've we we stock it now we are going to oh, there we go we are going to be starting the holistic vet shop in the next few days until so you'll be able to get hold of this sure. if, you, if you if you need it so this is good so there you go that would be yeah, that would be just yeah, a few makes, thoughts that makes sense Is't it
1: funny like cause the skin is it's a symptom you know it the skin you're, I always say it's like the smoke coming out the roof of a burning house mm-hmm. and so you can give supplements to stop the skin issue, but I'd be kind of thinking okay why is why are my smoke alarms going off mm-hmm. uh, and I think I think it's, it could easily be the g a upsetting things, but it could also be the stress i mean stress will smash your biome, and you're mm-hmm. sitting in this place for twenty four or forty eight hours there's other dogs barking that don't enjoy it as much as you do. Who wants to be away from mum and dad that long without being told what's Mm. going on? And you're just waking up from a GA. So yeah, big biome smash. I wonder, I bet you there's a few papers out there on general anaesthetics and stayovers and biome and I'm going to find them. So that's interesting. I'll have a look around tonight when I'm having a glass of wine. Um, And then, yes, what was the third one you said? The diet. Yeah, they definitely will feed. It's it's hard for them to take in raw feeding because, you know, no offence to the conventional veterinary sector, but kind of still terrified of fresh food and they don't want the hassle of taking in your raw we'll just feed him this really high quality tin stuff which is grain based mm. so if this dog is recovering and suddenly he's fed wheat but if you stay off wheat and glyphosate and all the other stuff that we know is in those tins if you stay off that stuff and then you go back on it, the body goes no 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 no, I don't want any of that mm. particularly with my biome and stress so it is an interesting thing and it's who knows which one of those is the issue but um, yeah okay cool very good I love it What's that's, the next that's one really really good to, that's yeah that good, was a great one good, yeah. some good
0: thoughts there yeah okay so uh last one, uh we yeah, because we've got just four or five we well, four or five minutes. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Okay, big list here. A lot awesome of stuff. Patreon. Yeah. So this is, this all is all from, our Patreon. From Patreon. So yeah. um yeah. this one's from uh Sarah, maybe it's Sarah. I've got clients who are spelt Sarah, but they call themselves right. Sarah. So Sarah, yeah. Sarah Horton, this is your question. Hi guys, I've been listening to Fast like a girl summit on health, longevity, and fasting for females and their hormones. Great. Very, very good stuff. Do you think fasting for dog is good? And how would you see that? Also, been hearing amazing things about humic and fulvic acid for pets and humans. What are your thoughts? Years ago, I bought some fulvic acid powder for dogs, and they loved it to the point of one of my dogs getting hold of an empty packet and licked it clean amazing thank you for all thank you all uh you do love the show so brilliant nice S- S- sarah sarah that's really kind thank you um do you want to have a go at that
1: yeah um okay so like let's just i'll skip the fasting for a second uh um i know you're you're strong on that nick and i said i tried it on dudley and i do i'm a big believer in intermittent fasting which nick will, i'm sure will, will expand on but this, the, the humic and fulvic acid, which is coming, are these amazing properties that come from or compounds that come from soil mm. and uh, just fantastically useful. It's like it's almost like typing in CBD into Google Scholar and you will go down every single rabbit hole. They are used for so many issues, from digestive issues to inflammatory uh, issues, used in different uh, doses in different ways. It's amazing. I can't pretend to be an expert in it, but every time I hear people talking about it, I go, oh, I wish I knew more about that. To me, it's almost like m- medicinal mushrooms. It's a field that I know is a, me, is is amazing, and I just know very little about it. But you can see the, the studies about it. It's one of the reasons, surely, gut-sick dogs will eat soil. When you see this kind of pica behavior in dogs, a pika will be like where it's eating an unusual object. It's not mm-hmm. normal. He's eating wood chips, which is a common enough one. Uh, really bad inflamed guts Uh, IBS, IBD dogs eating wood chips and bark and stuff, you know, for whatever reason you could probably talk about that and make some guesses, but the soil one is surely interesting, it may be one of the reasons why they bury their bones did you ever see a dog, you know, bury a bone and it's it's half poking out of the soil and you can't help but think, pretty shit job buddy I mean I can see it, anybody with half a nose would find that, I can see it But maybe what they're trying to do is preserve it and cover it in these amazing compounds, Mm -hmm. soil-based probiotics, Mm -hmm. which we know are amazing. Mm -hmm. And so there's so much stuff in soil that makes it so amazing. It's one of the reasons why I think dogs eat soil when they're good sick. I love them. I know very little about it. And I think particularly of relevance is the fact that your dog got at that powder and started eating it. That's classic zoo pharmacology because these wouldn't be normal ingredients to be pouring into your dog's bowl willy-nilly. Uh, but it would definitely be an ingredient that particularly with an unhealthy dog, but you never know, even in healthy dogs, that if you did have a source of them, you put them to the side. Let's see your dog show interest in them. And if your dog does and he'll take them himself, I would trust him. And uh, but particularly for your gut sick dogs, if you had some on the shelf and you put some beside the bowl and he took it, well, I'd give him more. I'd say, all right, buddy, you'll be getting another bit before lunch. Mm-hmm. So uh, very interesting stuff. I want to know more about it, so I'm, I will put that on the to-do list. What about, uh, what about you, Nick?
0: Humic and fulvic acids, so fulvic acid, I don't know anything about particularly, but it is in soil and it's very, very essential. And there's a lot of good literature to suggest that it's very healthy for gut. Uh, Humic acid is from humus, which is the organic component of soil. And it just, as you're saying, Connor, correctly, that it just suggests that soil is an important component not necessarily continually but as part of the picture that we should consider when we're feeding our dogs i've actually treated one or two itchy dogs by just feeding them clean frozen and then thawed soil i say clean meaning it hasn't got any cat poo in it or or, you know anything like that and i freeze it in order to remove parasites but it means that porvic acid in the the humic acid and the uh, beneficial bacteria are maintained, and it's that's a really interesting one. And even there's Aniforte, who don't sponsor this show, unfortunately. Aniforte they do. It, it's I think it's it, it's a clay that they get from somewhere in Germany. So it's a, it's a, a soil, if you like, that they can they can add. They they've looked at it and they've made sure that it's safe and what have you. And you can just get this stuff and, and, and sprinkle it on. So that's really interesting. That's just yeah, come that's to mind. I've never I never really looked into it. I made a note somewhere and have yeah, since. Yeah, I've got it on my
1: to-do list, yes. which is on a box. I think it's soil. Like you got you got humic uh you've got humus, you've got pulvic acids, mm. you've got um soil based um um or organisms that we're now using as antibiotics essentially. Mm. They're incredible yeah. and the studies abound yeah. by them. You've also got um, studies of bentonite clay and, and more like clay and all this other stuff that mm. where you eat these and it, they do absorb toxins. And I thought, ah, nonsense, until I read that book, Toxic, that brain keeps on going on about uh, at least the first bit of it. Mm. And um, yeah, there is plenty of evidence to show that they will get together the nasties in your in your guts and you can then pull them down. And I thought, oh my god, soil has so many benefits. This is a whole prey eater. He doesn't eat out of bowls. He eats off the ground. It's been rolling around in the ground and you know, so bits of that stuff goes into his his life all the time. So very, very interesting. So, what about the first part?
0: Intermittent fasting, fasting the dog. Uh, are you pro or on? I am totally, uh, uh, I'm totally in with intermittent fasting or fasting. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah, you don't want to fast for three three months because otherwise you'll die. Obviously, and Great tip, you need to be. <laughs> Thank you. And you need to be in, in, in reasonable, healthy shape. Yeah. With, with, you know, if you're anorexic fasting is probably not a great idea. If you're, if you're, if you're in a bad place in your mind, then possibly fasting is not a great idea, but for, you know, general Mr. And Mrs. Average, I think it's a really good idea. And Mr. And Mrs. Average dog as well. We, Feed pretty much once a day. Now, you were talking about Dudley, about him not being able to yeah. do really do once a day feeding. And here's the truth of the matter is that we've got Bluebell, who's four, and Mouse, who's two, and both of them just went off. We were feeding twice a day because they were young, and both of them just kind of went off breakfast. Now, now Bluebell, she's a complete guts, and she would eat five, ten times a day, given half chance. However, she does great being fed more or less once a day. Ellie likes to give them a chicken wing after they come in from the walk in the morning. I wouldn't yeah. do that because I'm a bastard, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you stick to the rules. Yeah, yeah, I do, more or less. Uh, they do. Uh, but more or less, they have one meal a day. And the beauty of that, I always say to to clients that uh fasting is to the pancreas what sleeping is to the brain yeah okay really really important and also the gut i think the gut and uh, sarah sara was talking about um longevity fasting and females and the hormones and i've never come across that apart from in order to be a healthy female just as it is to a healthy male you've got to have great metabolic health how do you have great metabolic health fasting is yeah. is is the way to do it 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 helps with um with the uh the, the uh mitochondrial health cellular health um yeah. any any fat if 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 you're not carrying carrying too much body fat then you will not be carrying too many fat soluble toxins like dioxins and, and and what have you so yeah. i think that's what it comes down to it's like fasting is good for humans and fasting is good for dogs intermittent fasting for example uh because it pushes you towards a better metabolic state so the question for me is why is fasting good for you which is kind of a simple question but it's because throughout history we've had a lot of fasting going on like every winter many many peoples all around the yeah. the, the globe will run out of food towards the end Didn't of winter no, Didn't have fridges, a few
1: pots with some fermenting vegetables it's and it. fruits in it, and it's like bloody hell, I'm hungry. Yeah, you know, yeah. you don't roll out of bed and eat bran flakes. Yeah, I, you know, I love the explanation someone had about um fasting because they said if consuming food is an enormously energy expensive thing to do. So when you stuff your face at Christmas time mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. your holiday is. And, uh, you know, you you pass out in the chair. That's your body shutting you down. Sit down there while I deal with this hell you're after giving me two kilos of Quality Street. And so it takes eight hours to digest and assimilate a meal, pass it up through the gut membrane into the blood. It takes another eight hours to pack it all away. It's like, right, bloody hell, the toes need something in the eyelids. And oh, my God. So after 16 hours is the magic number for this intermittent fasting. So fasting itself is more of a day, two, three. It's a long thing. That The thing that you're thinking about, that's fasting. Intermittent fasting kicks in after 16 hours. When this process is done, the body suddenly has enormous reserves. It's like all these extra tubes, troops have just turned up to the front lines. So I'd like to give us something to do. And that's what the Nobel Prize, one of them, I imagine, I think it's been done twice for similar projects. But um, it, they found... Uh, They found cancer cells and it's called um, autophagy. The body goes into housekeeping mode. It's like cancer cells, zap and zap them. They're they're not supposed to be there. Look at your knee. But they also suspect it's the same with the gut lining. So you're constantly turning over your gut lining all the time. But if you're constantly whizzing cars down the M1, they they can't get the tarmac on the roads. They're like, will you just ease off? For a moment, and let us get this stuff down and fix up this gut lining. And you know, you're developing a a few little issues here. You have a little pocket there with bacteria. We've got to sort that out. You can't keep the cars going down the M1. So, fasting just reduces the traffic for a moment to let the job be done. So, this 16 hour window is the crucial one. So, when I say I can't feed Dudley the one meal a day, that worries me a bit because I want this eight hours of feeding a day for us nine to five. If you want to start later, which is the easiest thing to do because breaking your fast. Is easy, just put that off because it's not the, most, not the meal I want. So uh, if you start at 11, you don't know if you could finish eating at seven and you've given your body that magic 16 hours. Even better if you gave it 17 hours, 18 hours, because then it's got an hour or two of this autophagy stuff to go through. So Dudley so gets fed two meals a day, but I keep it close enough together, five hours, six hours max. So he's not eating for 18 hours, so I know he's still getting his fast. So I don't worry so much about it, you know, that
0: way. Absolutely brilliant because uh i'm I'm a bit of an extremist with many things, and so i'm always saying to people we should be feeding once a day and many people have a problem with that, and you know say, Oh my dog, just can't do it or they get hunger pukes or what have you so a kind yeah. of a, a compromise situation is feed twice a day, but as you say, you bring them as close together as you can in just one phase I, I like feeding in the afternoon because I think that in days gone by we nomadic humans will have got up had a drink at the local river and then gone hunting that's how it works but and and dogs they will not have a tin of pedigree chum waiting for them when they're in you know in the serengeti or something like this they have to get up they have to exercise that yeah Yeah. so exercise always precedes food so exercise is another part of the the uh, the the dance that we play that our body plays in order to fully metabolize our food. Yeah. So before you eat, guys, have a good dance. Yeah, put on some funky music. Yeah, and dance. This was this is Jamie Richards told me this, and it's a brilliant idea, isn't it? Right. Uh, yeah. Dinner yeah. in twenty minutes. Okay, let's do. It. Yeah, <laughs> everybody, let's do some dance. Well, do some exercise if you don't want to dance. Yeah, then uh, yeah. do do some exercise because then your body thinks aha. You're chasing after a gazelle, we're going to get fed shortly. So, brilliant. It's really, really lovely. Um, Yeah. There you go. I think we've done that one. I think we're happy. And
1: listen, I think we should
0: pause.
1: I think we, yeah, I think we should pause. We promised to get two questions done on bid on the side. So, we'll do five minutes on each question. because we're 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 over time here, but I love that. Please, Nick, we got through three questions. <laughs> that list on Patreon is getting longer and longer. It's just it's just so nice to chat about things, and, and yeah. you know, it's it's uh, just to have a question to guide you. You could talk for ages about. It. But uh, you do miss you do miss the, the, the people's opinions coming down yes. the side, don't you? Okay. The, my eye often goes over there. You miss you miss seeing them. So we've got a couple of cool questions lined up on Patreon and. Uh, I would like uh, yeah so we'll get to that so guys we're on uh, patreon.com forward slash wall pet medics and also anywhere you listen to your podcast and if you can leave us a review we do deeply appreciate mm-hmm. it it really helps the cause over here yeah and Brendan will be back in the hot seat uh, next week I'm sure um, so I think so isn't he because again we're not quite sure where he's gone we didn't <laughs> we didn't think to ask him if he's if okay. he's not
0: here next Tuesday uh, we'll send out a rescue party. How about that? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. So somebody has to feed those birds. Yeah. Brilliant. So he's probably just lying down
1: there as well. These...
0: Absolutely awesome. amazing. Okay. Connor, Cheers, Nick. thank you for that. Thank you, everybody, and we'll we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>